we've come to the liturgy of the word this morning. This is the part where we hear from the Gospels and from the Old Testament and not from the Old Testament. Yeah, we do today. We've got Genesis and Luke and Anne Shuttle is going to come and read for us. So the Old Testament reading can be found on page 15 in the Church Bibles, Genesis 15, starting to read at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will, the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offering, offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take your possession of it. This is the word of the Lord. And if you are able, please stand for the gospel. And the gospel can be found on page 989 in the Church Bibles, Luke chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and, and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for your warm welcome. <laughs> Before we sit down, shall we pray? <clears throat> O oh, Father, open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word and give us the grace to receive it, to understand it and to obey it for your glory. Amen. The dictionary definition of the word rejection is to refuse to accept, to refuse affection or recognition. Notice that word refuse. 
Is this how we feel if we think we have been rejected? Do we feel not accepted, not recognized, and maybe not loved? So how do people react to rejection? Some people may want to give up. Others feel incredibly sad and sorry for themselves. And yet others, very angry and want to have revenge. Today's gospel reading is about how Jesus was rejected and how he reacted. But before we look at this, we need to look at the warning he was given in verse 31. We tend to think that the Pharisees were Jesus' enemies. And this is certainly true for some of them, perhaps the majority of them, but not all of them. And in verse 31, we see some of the good guys who warn Jesus that he is in great danger because King Herod is out to kill him. Now, we know from Matthew 14 that Herod had already beheaded John the Baptist, so Jesus knew that this was not an idle threat. Jesus also knew that before John the Baptist was beheaded, he had been imprisoned by Herod for daring to speak out against his lifestyle. And yet, here was Jesus being anything but complimentary about Herod. He calls him a fox. To the Jews, a fox was regarded as the slyest of animals, the most destructive, and the symbol of a worthless and insignificant man. So why was Jesus not intimidated or frightened by this threat? It was because Jesus knew who he was, and he also knew why he had been born in human flesh. He took his orders from God, and he wasn't going to cut short his work to please or escape from any earthly king. Jesus also knew that it had been decreed from eternity that the Son of God would be crucified in Jerusalem, and not even Herod would or could hinder the purposes of God. So we see from verse 32 that Jesus was not afraid for his own safety. However, he was concerned and fearful for the safety of the people he had lived amongst, taught and healed for the past three years. This is what caused Jesus such anguish and sorrow, their rejection. The first thing we notice about Jesus' rejection was the lack of anger or seeking for revenge by calling down God's wrath on them. Incredibly, his sorrow was not for himself, but for the people who were rejecting him. And a few chapters later, we read that as he drew near to Jerusalem, he wept over the city. Jesus tried to make this quite clear when in verse 34, he gives them an illustration with which people coming from an agricultural background, such as they were, would be familiar. It was a picture of a mother hen, desperately trying to protect her chicks, but they refused to come to her and heed her warning, and she has to witness the consequences. 
The word longed in this verse shows the depth of love and heartache that Jesus had for the inhabitants of Jerusalem and, in fact, for the whole of the Jewish people. He longed to protect, heal, and bless them, but they were turning away from him, rejecting him and his message. This was their decision, as we see in this verse, when Jesus says to them, you were not willing. But it was not just the rejection that saddens him, but the consequences of this rejection. We have to look at some of the earlier verses in this chapter to find out what it was the people were rejecting and why this rejection put them in danger. But these verses are not comfortable reading. In verse 23, Jesus was asked, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? In reply to this question, Jesus told a parable about a narrow door leading into a house, but not everyone would be allowed in. Verse 27 tells us why this is. The owner, representing Jesus, says to them, I don't know you. Away from me, all you evildoers. Verse 28 makes it clear what the house represents. When Jesus went on to say, you will see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. So Jesus' overwhelming sadness is due to the fact that not everyone is going to be part of God's kingdom. Not everyone is going to heaven. Now some people cannot believe that a loving God would allow anyone to go to hell or even that hell exists. But the Bible makes it quite clear in several places that it does exist and that God does exclude some from his kingdom. However, the Bible also makes it quite clear that this is not something that brings God pleasure. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not want this to happen, but the decision lies with us, as it did with Jesus' listeners. Why was it that people would, who were not allowed into the house and feast were so surprised and dumbfounded? In verse 26, they say, We ate and drank with you as you taught in our streets. Their answer comes in the following verse. I don't know you. Away with you, all you evildoers. The last part of this answer would have come as a great shock to them. They believed in God. They tried to keep their religious laws as set down in the Old Testament, of which there were over 600. When they failed, which was inevitable, they would offer an animal sacrifice as atonement. They said their prayers at the set times during the day. They were very strict about keeping the Sabbath. They attended their local synagogues for worship, even went to Jerusalem for major festivals, and they tied 
Wow, what more could God want? But their religion was based on tradition, observance of the Old Testament laws, in short, on what they were doing. They had completely missed the point. They had no relationship with God. They didn't know him, and so God said to them, I don't know you. God had already told them about this in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. I desire faithfulness or loyalty and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God doesn't want a religion but a relationship. There is, however, an obstacle to having a relationship with God, and that obstacle is sin. We often live with sin because we categorize sins into big sins, serious ones, some punishable by the laws of our land, and small ones. But this is not so with God. To him, a sin is a sin. And this is what Jesus was saying in verses 1 to 4 of today's chapter. God cannot tolerate sin, big or small. And this is why twice in these verses Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. However, the good news of the gospel is that God has made a way for us to have an ongoing relationship with him. And that way is Jesus. Sin has to be punished and the obstacle removed. This is why Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the reason for this is that it is through his death on the cross. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, the wages or penalty for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, or in other words, God's standards. So we have to conclude that we all need to acknowledge our sin, repent of it, and seek God's forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. This is a very personal thing, up to every individual. This is good news, but first we have to believe it. Secondly, acknowledge that we need to take it on board for ourselves. And lastly, accept it personally. About a week ago, Selwyn Hughes commented on this in Every Day with Jesus. This is what he wrote. Multitudes of people hold the dangerous idea that Christ's atoning death on the cross means that the debt of human sin has been paid and that everyone is automatically forgiven. Through the cross, God reaches out to humanity but it is only as we respond to him in willing submission that they can experience the benefits of his son's atonement. 
Forgiveness has to be received before it can take effect in our lives. We might well say, surely no one would want to accept Jesus, Jesus sorry, we might say, surely no one would not want to accept Jesus' offer of paying the penalty for their sins and taking the punishment in their place. But sadly, this does appear to be the case. In verse 24 of today's reading, Jesus tells his listeners that they have to make every effort to enter the narrow door leading into God's kingdom. And that may, many will try, but fail. And I think the reason that people fail is touched on by Selwyn Hughes when he said that in order for us to receive the benefit of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we need to willingly submit to God. And he further explained this when he wrote, salvation is not the result of human endeavor, but human surrender. Many people find it difficult to submit to God and to surrender their lives, their lives to him because they want to be in control. John Calvin described surrendering to God in this way, to have no other will, no other wisdom, and to follow the Lord wherever he leads. And Bob Gass, commenting on this statement, wrote, to do this, you will have to face your greatest fear. Who will drive your life? It's pretty handy to have Jesus in the passenger's seat when we require his service, such as facing a health problem or some other difficulty, and we need peace and reassurance. But when it comes to sliding out from behind the wheel and letting Jesus drive, we're not too sure about that because it means we are no longer in control. And I face this problem myself. I long to have what other Christians had. I recognize the joy and the peace they had through a relationship with God, through Jesus and his Holy Spirit. But I wanted it on my terms. I wanted still to be in control of my life while enjoying the benefits that come from having a relationship with God. It wasn't until I was willing to surrender and relinquish that control that my relationship with God began. And that was through an awareness of his love for me. That was over 50 years ago. And I've never regretted that surrender. And I've realized time and time again that God has made a far better job of my life than ever I could have done. His plans for me were far greater than mine. Today's readings from Luke contain some uncomfortable truths and challenges. But it also shows us how patient God is because he doesn't want to exclude anyone from his kingdom. However, there does come a time when he shuts the door and sadly but firmly has to say, I don't know you. The people thought that because they had eaten and drank in Jesus' presence, that they were part of his kingdom. But hearing about Jesus coming to a place and coming to a place of worship 
and even taking communion are no substitutes for knowing him and surrendering to and accepting him into our lives. The opposite of surrendering to and accepting Jesus is rejecting him. In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. There's no sitting on the fence. In the message translation at the end of Jesus' illustration about the mother hen, we see the reason for Jesus' sorrow. He says, you refused and turned away. May this not be true of any of us here today, that we refused and turned away. Amen. <laughs>